Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we are the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does that mean, really? Are we here as a sum total of people who want to be faithful? Are we the sum total of people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? People who regularly come together in order to hear about the Lord and about Jesus Christ? Are we people who in so doing are looking for something to satisfy ourselves with? And once we no longer find what we need, we go elsewhere and look in another church for it? Are we individual believers who more or less accidentally together make up this congregation in Armadale? Such a thinking pattern fits in very well with the spirit of the age we live in, but it is certainly not in line with the will of our Heavenly Father. In our text, and also in the passage about those who doubt, you will see that those ideas are not correct. If all is well, we ought to be a real community, a group of people who belong together. Yes, a people that belongs together, unified in love for, as well as being loved by the Lord. People so united will therefore also surround each other in love, in good days as well as bad days. We are a people, a congregation, which Christ has brought together in order that we together may live of his mercy and together may grow in knowledge of God and in order that together we may bring him our praises. A people that indeed is involved with each other's lives, looking out for one another because we want to put each other on the way to Christ and keep each other going on that way. But there's so much confusion on this very point, also in so-called Christian circles. On a national youth day of evangelicals, it was said, it is not the intention to become an ordinary, neatly dressed believer who faithfully goes to church in order to listen. But the intent is that you begin to pass on to others that which you have received from God. The difficulty in that statement is that a contradiction is made where the Holy Spirit himself does not do so. He wants to see a people that faithfully listens that faithfully builds each other up and then also carries out its riches to those around them. It is indeed the purpose that we together listen to the voice of our God as the voice of our Father. We should be growing together in our faith and every time let ourselves be led back to Christ. Precisely so that we, from that basis of our common life with Christ, will display that gospel in our everyday lives. By doing so, we make God's voice heard by, and his image seen to, the people around us. 
And because we know the Lord and his word, we will understand and see from that same word how Christ is at work in the world, seeing even more clearly God's marvelous works. What is important in all this is that we hold on to each other, keeping each other in a close relationship with Christ, no matter how different in character or origins we may be. And that includes that we show care for members around us in the congregation who are departing from the real Christ and the true gospel. That is not just the task of the elders and minister. It is really in the first place the task of each one of us in the congregation toward one another. We can see that in our text, but also in, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, where it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. The Holy Spirit shows us that we ought to surround those in the congregation who have brought themselves into a spiritual danger zone. Let us then together listen to the wisdom of God which I proclaim to you under the following theme. Save your fellow family member who is in danger. Save your fellow family member who is in danger. In this theme, I use the words family member. Here in this congregation, we are like family members of one another. We are true close relatives of one another, for we are brothers and sisters of each other. Not because we sort each other out as such. No, just like a normal family, the family members do not enter that family by choice, but through a blood tie. Even so, in this congregation, the Lord has placed you in this specific congregation of Christ where his word is preached in truth and has here given you brothers and sisters. And please do not try to exempt yourself from that relationship by saying that you do not really feel those ties or that you feel those ties with all sorts of other people who are not members of this congregation, but not with many within this congregation. At times, your brothers and sisters may be peculiar and difficult people, people who, whom you certainly would not have chosen to be part of. And at times, there may be brothers and sisters who do or say things which irritate you rather a lot. Yes, it can even happen that you have people who say or do things of which you say, but that ought not to be said or done. You cannot do or say such things as a child of God. In the early churches of the New Testament, already some 30 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, confusion arose. So much so that Jude, a brother of the Lord Jesus, was worried about it. Therefore, guided by the Holy Spirit, he wrote a letter full of concern and admonition, but driven by love for those addressed. He speaks about those members of the congregation who had, 
who had begun to have doubts. They had come to, into contact with other people in the congregation who said that it is not necessary as a believer to consistently live according to the word of God and to apply that in your life and thinking. These members, causing the confusion, said that the Bible is not all that clear on that consistent living, but it is more important to love the Lord Jesus. Whoever the Lord Jesus then may be to you, for, so they said, you cannot really know the Lord Jesus or the Lord God if his word is not entirely clear and reliable on that either. And so doubt crept into the church in those days. Now Jude is calling upon the believers to involve themselves with those doubting people in order to help them out of their doubts. They are called to use God's own word in order to restore the certainty of faith to the doubters, much in the same way the Lord himself had done time and again with his people in days gone by. The Lord did not deal with his people like that because he trusted in his people, but because his enormous love urged him on time and again to care for them. He sought them in love every time again. But there were not only the doubters in the early churches. There was also a group of early believers who had deviated much further from the truth already. They were the ones who had been infected by this false doctrine and progressed in the accompanying slack lifestyle. This was a life which, in which desiring to lovingly show obedience to Christ was no longer required. For them, it was no problem to lose control over their senses at a party through the abuse of alcohol. This was the so-called Christianity which had no problem with browsing around on pornography websites now and then. Their Christianity had no problem to mainly live for self and therefore condoned tax evasion in order to keep as much as possible for yourself. The fundamental error in such thinking is often that such people say that the most important thing in a life with Christ is love. God's unconditional love. They deny that obedience to the Lord is crucial. They make it sound like love and the call to obedience are opposed to each other. And especially also in these days of Jude, this error entered the church. People in the churches started to live in disobedience to Christ and still maintained that they loved him and that in spite of their lifestyle, Christ still loved them. They no longer got excited about obedient service. They lived by worldly standards, and still thought that they would share in God's love, even though God hates worldly lifestyles. The Holy Spirit in our text tells us what the reality is really like. These brothers and sisters have endangered themselves, have engulfed themselves with fire, 
something they themselves would, of course, deny. The Spirit shows us that something needs to happen. These brothers and sisters are in danger. They need to be saved. If no one comes to the rescue, they will be lost. And that being lost is emphasized by talking about fire. And fire here portrays the judgment of God. He who lives in this sort of sin does not fight against sin, does not with genuine sadness over sin confess them to God, and does not break with those sins. Such a person invites God's wrath over his or her own life. In all this, God can in no way be held responsible for what is to follow. Yes, instead, God is also to be adored for his judgments. This is very clear from the words of the Lord Jesus himself, which he spoke about fire being God's just judgment. In Matthew 13 we read, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It is clear that these erring brothers and sisters are in dire straits. What then is your and my task if we witness these things happening around us? We live in an age where, we so quickly, where it is so quickly said, each to their own opinion. Everyone has their own way of explaining the Bible. We should give each other that liberty as long as we love the Lord Jesus. That sounds very nice and pious, but in essence it is harsh and indifferent. Suggesting to give one another liberty to do as they please often has a secondary line of thinking that says, as long as I allow others to do as they please, they should also stop interfering with what I want to do. The reality then is that the love for God and the love for my neighbor is hard to find. In reality, we have then become cold and indifferent to others. For true love wants to do the opposite and heed the call of the Spirit in our text. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. So, how can you save someone in that way? By showing such a brother or sister, in love, the way out which the Lord himself is pointing out. By showing him or her what the Holy Spirit is teaching us in the Bible. And by pointing out, in love, with the word of God, that the things he or she is teaching and professing are wrong and that he or she is not living according to the will of God. Yes, by making clear that what he or she is teaching does not bring closer to Christ, 
but rather alienates from Christ and those who belong to him. Someone can say many nice things about God or Jesus, but what matters is that such a person applies in his life, in word and deed, what he knows from the word of God. We are talking about the true God and the real Lord Jesus, the real Holy Spirit, and not how we think about him or feel toward him. And then it's very important to show these erring people that what matters in our lives is that because of our love for God, we always want to be and remain very close to the one true Lord. We want to prove that in our thinking, our speaking, our activities and our feelings. We want to obey him in everything in love, which is grounded in his love for us. Obedience to Christ in the church is not a dirty word for us. Obedience to God and his word belongs to a life which understands the great mercy of God. The Lord Jesus himself strongly calls us to be obedient to God. And we read this in this part, in this part, but also other parts of the New Testament as well. We are urged to lead a life which is especially aimed at listening to the Lord. And once we have listened and heard what he told us, we should want to follow his wisdom in whatever way required. And that requires trust. To make your mind and your feelings subordinate to the one who truly knows what is right and what is good for you, even if you cannot understand it now. You trust him because you know him and his love. And therefore you take your bearings from his compass. That is trusting in Christ. For he is the saviour, the redeemer, whom you need so very much. We need him because none of us managed to follow the direction shown by his compass for the full, full hundred percent. And therefore all of us need forgiveness on a daily basis. It is so very important that we are reminded of that every time again. Because it prevents us from feeling that you are better than that erring brother or sister who has lost his or her direction. It also teaches us to admonish the other in love, wherever that is needed. But without making yourself look better. Instead, you are lovingly concerned with the brother who lives and thinks contrary to God's will. God is love indeed, but especially because he is love, there is no place for sin with him. Rather, living in sin causes you to be under his wrath if you do not change. It is therefore so very important that the love of God, which in turn causes you to love your brother and sister, that this love of God drives you to put in a great effort to try and save the sinning member. The Lord's great love shines brightly through your faithful admonitions calling the sinner to repentance and obedience and to turn away from the errors of doctrine and lifestyle. 
We mention two of the many examples where we hear the Holy Spirit himself say this. First, concerning our lifestyle. This passage from the New Testament clearly fits in very well with our text this morning about scarcely being saved. 1 Peter 4, verse 15 to 19. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And the second example is concerning our doctrine. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The love of God has to be so much alive in us that it makes us pray continuously that we may give ourselves up for one another. Yes, to want to pull the other from the fire and save him from his sinful ways. And would it not be wonderful if the Lord so blesses our saving efforts that the other will start to see once more what he is doing wrong turns from those sins and in love again subjects himself to what it is the Spirit teaches us? It is a marvelous thing that the Holy Spirit wants to use our words and deeds in his service in order to reach out and save those who have brought themselves under the wrath of God. The enormity of that work is also seen in Zechariah 3, which we read before. We read there about the high priest Joshua. This high priest is certainly not without sin. The devil rubs his hands in glee, as it were, when he sees Joshua's sin. And he does not waste any time either to point those sins out to the Lord. See here, Lord, even the high priest is again being sinful. He does not deserve your love, but rather your punishment. Oh, the devil is a mean and evil person. At the same time, we see here the miracle of God's grace and mercy. The Lord says, as it were, Yes, I know that even my highest servant on earth deserves my punishment, but I have plucked him from the fire. I, in my love, have called him to myself. You, devil, no longer have a hold over people who have fled to me with their sins, for they are like a piece of wood singed by the fire, but rescued from it. All those blemishes and filthy works on Joshua 
I will cover with clean white clothes the festal garments which the Lord Jesus obtained by enduring the very fire of God's wrath to the very end for those who believe and therefore in their whole life want to live according to the word of God. Christ Jesus as the high priest through his sinless life earned the right to pluck and save from the fire all those who turn from their sinful ways and cling to Jesus. May the love of Christ, which is so unbelievably great, urge us on to time and again help others to come back on that road to Christ, just to call them back. Pray that the love of God and the Spirit may overflow from us by seeking to save one another when the need arises. Pray that the Holy Spirit fills us with that love for one another so that we can be instruments in his hands for good. Amen.